Welcome back to the show. Today, you are in for a treat. We are speaking with neuropsychologist, Dr. Julia Deganji. Dr. Julia is a neuropsychologist who shows you how to expand the power of your nervous system to hold more emotional voltage. As a brain scientist, Dr. Julia knows that your nervous system is your portal to power. She will show you how to take the pain in your life, your stress, your struggles, your suffering, and transform it into power. She has tremendous expertise and decades of applied experience serving leaders at the highest levels of power, including the White House top leadership and global companies and special forces. This conversation is going to blow you away. I honestly, I couldn't keep up. She was so, so much knowledge, so much information, and I just wanted to have her longer than what we did. So I'm sure we will have another conversation. Dr. Julie has worked with leaders who've endured some of the highest stakes, highest stress situations on the planet, and she's going to show you what it takes to unlock new dimensions of your emotional power as you face defining challenges in your life. We dive into where pain originates, what trauma is, what it does inside of our bodies, how trauma interacts and intersects with leadership and how it can affect our leadership skills, and leading others in business or in life. This is such an incredibly powerful conversation that everyone will take something away from. Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips tools and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome to the show, Dr. Julia. I have looked forward to this conversation. Me too. (laughs) Can you tell people where you are from? I'm from Chicago. I'm from Chicago, Illinois. Perfect. And I would love it um, if you would just give the listeners a very brief snippet of who you are. And we want to dive into you and your story and the work that you're doing right now. Yes. Okay. So um, I'm a neuropsychologist, which means I'm a clinical psychologist with specialized expertise in the brain. And I got here by a very, very long road. So I am uh psychology, emotional intelligence, mental health runs in my blood. I come from a lineage of, um, so my father is a psychologist. When I was a little girl, my bedtime stories were his psychology textbooks. You know, they had these like little cute vignettes. So I really grew up um, talking this language of what I came to later understand was emotional intelligence, emotional pain, and emotional power. So I never, you know, I thought psychology was my dad's career. Um, My brother is significantly disabled. Um, my mother um, worked with immigrants her whole career. So our family was very, we had a social justice orientation. Mm-hmm. So I thought that um, I was going to be a journalist. You know, I, I'm very interested in people's stories. I'm a natural listener. I love to write. Um, and I worked actually in the U.S. and then in South America as, as a journalism major. But, you know, I, I learned very quickly about um some of these very, very egregious human rights violations that had happened in, you know, basically Latin America in the 70s and 80s. So I started getting very involved in sort of human rights and realized that the whole idea of journalism being very objective, that wasn't really, it didn't really match. Like I was much more of an advocate. Mm -hmm. So I worked in international humanitarian aid. So I've worked all over the world. I've worked in South America. I've done a lot of work. Predominantly, my work has been in South America and Africa. And I've worked very extensively in, in U.S. politics. So I've been at the White House. I've been on several U.S. presidential campaigns. I've worked for a lot of congressional races. Um, and what I was seeing, whether I was in Detroit, Chicago, Iraq, Nigeria, Argentina, is there was all of this trauma. There was all of this pain. And no matter where I was, 
the the cultures could be so different or the, you know, things about each individual situation, obviously were incredibly diverse, but the ways people responded to trauma and the way it really destroyed individual lives, family lives, community lives. And if you play that out, you're not talking about the, the individual level trauma. You can see the aggregate at the global system. And there was all these amazing things that happen in politics and international humanitarian aid. So, you you know, physical health care, maternal health, HIV AIDS, post-conflict reconstruction, but no one was really doing the mental health piece. And so I was like, oh my God, I'm going back to school to become a psychologist. And so I became a neuropsychologist because I'm very interested in this idea of the brain body spirit connection, right? So Mm -hmm. how do we understand our lives ultimately is mediated by the brain, right? So the pain we experience, the power we experience. um, And I found it to be the most life-giving, redemptive, amazing. If I had a thousand lifetimes to live, I would live it a thousand times over on this altar of human pain and human power. It's, it's everything. Oh, that is, that's powerful in itself to know that, yes, this is exactly what I am here to do. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Very few people can say that you found this gap in, it's almost like you followed your path. Journalism found this gap in the system, looking at no one's talking about trauma and what this is doing, how it's impacting, how we're responding, what this looks like, and then how that in turn is affecting like human rights issues, leadership, what we're doing. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like no one knew that, you know, so if you, I did a lot of work with, for example, HIV AIDS orphans. And so people certainly understood the the trauma, but it was like, okay, well, what do we, you know, what do we do? It's, It's so... Like, do we provide individual psychotherapy for 30? So obviously you can imagine um, as complex as physical health can be, mental health is even more complex. And so um, I was like, well, this is this is certainly ripe for, you know, and I've worked in academia for many years. So I, I bring a lot of sort of scientific acumen as well as kind of the spiritual energy to this work because I really do see it as sacred. But I think this is like ripe for, good humanistic questions and also good scientific ones. Oh, yes. I 100% love everything that you're saying. So as you started to, you went through for neuropsychology and then, and then what was the first thing you did after that? What was the first job? How did you work? What was it? What did it look like? Yeah. So I, when I, when I went back to get the PhD, I was on a very traditional academic track. So, um, have published a lot of a lot in the scientific literature, worked in a lot of sort of top labs at Harvard, Georgetown, um, universities here in Chicago. And I really thought I was going to have an academic career. Um, And I was really going to sort of look at how trauma affects our functioning, both our neurobiological functioning and then our social functioning and our individual functioning and our marital functioning. Um, And for a variety of reasons, you know, I decided um, I'm, I'm still very involved in research, but the academic life, it's very, very intense. So when you're going after grant, after grant, after grant, after grant, you know, the, the work weeks are easily 70 hours a week. Um, and I had a lot of when I was single, but, you know, I had at this time two children under two. My mother was sick. My brother, like I mentioned, is disabled. I had a new marriage. So um, I was very reluctant to leave because, you know, you, I trained for this. My God, I'd gone to school for, I think all in, I'd gone to school for like 28 years, something totally bananas. So to leave the academy, you know, you're, you really saw your whole life here. So that was like a bittersweet thing. But, um, you know, I really do believe that when one door closes, another one opens and I couldn't be happier. I still, um, I'm very invested in the scientific literature. I see individual patients. I work with a lot of now, I do a lot of corporate mentorships, so leaders who are interested in understanding how the brain can empower their leadership. Um, I have a book deal now from Harvard Business Review. So I'm writing on the, the neuroscience of powerful leadership in painful times. I get to talk to cool people like you. Um, and I have 
I, I can spend time with my, I can spend meaningful time with my family and my very young children. So that's, that's a big deal to me. No, and that worked out perfectly because you're doing, I'm not saying you're the only person doing this work, but I have never come across this before. And I love how you're connecting these pieces of like trauma and leadership and how we respond. So I would love it if you would share what is trauma, because this is such a big conversation right now, especially. Gosh, okay, what is trauma? So the best way to to understand trauma is really to take it back to the brain. So for me to answer that question, let me explain to you the best way to think, the most useful way for people to think about the brain. So your brain is fundamentally a pattern detection machine, right? So your brain is moving you through your life going apple, 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 banana, 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 okay? So the way that really sounds in our life is like, this always works out for me. This always works out for me. This always works out for me. Nothing works out for me. Nothing works out for me. Nothing works. I can trust people. I can trust. I can trust people. I can't trust people. Right. So we we get in these patterns. Oh my goodness. These very these powerful and painful patterns in our life. Now the the pattern detection abilities of the brain are remarkable. Right. This allows us to do so many things without a ton of cognitive effort, a ton of cognitive attention. Right. Attention. I always say is the mother of all. Basically, it's the mother of your brain. It's the mother of all neurocognitive domains. Because if I'm not paying attention, there's no problem I can solve. There's no decision I can make. There's not even a thing to remember. So this kind of unconscious maneuvering of the brain really kind of allows us to protect the sacred attention. It also can kind of go off the rails. And then we like keep living. It's like Groundhog Day over and over in a way that does not feel good. Okay, so the brain is a pattern detection machine. Okay, so what is what is trauma? The most powerful way I have come to understand trauma, and there's a lot of great definitions out there, is trauma is a violent shattering to the predictable pattern. In other words, when I think that I live in a safe neighborhood and I walk across my street in the middle of the night like I have a million times before to go get my mail, and and this night I'm assaulted, I'm attacked, that is a violent shattering to the predictable pattern. Mm -hmm. When everybody thought that we could get on airplanes and have meetings with clients and go to our offices, for a lot of people, and certainly everyone didn't have the same response, but that was a that was a global violence shattering to the predictable pattern. And when you look at a lot of kind of what's happened in current, whether it's George Floyd, I, and we could go on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people are saying, wait, this is not how it's supposed to go. And then um, because because the brain, your brain really is keeping you safe by what it understands is familiar. This is why we can stay in relationships that are jobs or I could go on and on that make us miserable. Or, you know, the way we feel kind of like, oh God, it's like this again. But if it's familiar, your brain, so there's this really important distinction, right? Your brain's fundamental function mm -hmm. is not your delight. It's not your joy. It's not your ecstasy, right? Your brain is like, hey, lady, it's when they you still alive say thank you right so if i have been here before no matter how miserable it's made me my brain calculates oh you can survive this right so i think you know the the pattern detection ability is amazing but when the brain can't predict the, the and when the pattern gets shattered in such a way where it's just egregious and violent and terrifying i think that this is the strongest definition of what trauma is Mm -hmm. I love I, that. That is no one has said it that way before. And I actually just had somebody I interviewed yesterday who they talked about it's because we fall into this comparison trap so much with trauma that it's like mine's not as bad as hers. So it can't be bad. But then we shut it off and we don't actually deal with and work through those feelings and emotions. And this person said yesterday on the call that it is really not just what happened. It's like our response to it and how we respond to it. That's why like what you might perceive in somebody that was so, so egregious, they seem to be doing okay with it. I know seem. Um, and then vice versa, some things that seem minor people are struggling with. So this is an interesting, I just want to, it's not a sliding scale that this is worse than this and this and this in our brain. It's really, it's the brain's perception of what we have experienced. Yeah. I think in a, in a lot of ways, that's a really good point. I mean, we are, so, so a couple of things I'll say, and this is where the scientific literature becomes so powerful. It's like, 
certainly there are certain events that are more cataclysmic than others, right? So if you think about, so we, you know, if you think about the Rwandan genocide, if you think about genocide, if you think about just really, so where there's just abject terror to every human system, the psychological system, the, the physical system, the human system. So, so that's one thing we know. We also know that um, interpersonal trauma is far worse than non-interpersonal trauma, right? So if I'm assaulted by someone, that is, we would expect worse psychological outcomes than if I was in a, in a really bad car accident or there was a really bad hurricane, you know? So we know that interpersonal trauma is, you know, so that tells us something about how powerful our connections to each other are. The other thing that I think is fascinating, so most of my scientific, like a, a big part of my scientific research has been looking at what we call pre-trauma factors. So people think that the trauma is so important. The trauma actually does not, it, it, it explains a relatively small amount of the variance of who gets sick after trauma. So in other words, this is it to your point, you send two people into the same situation. So you take, for example, two combat veterans or two people who've been assaulted. They have very different responses to what I'm using air quotes, you know, is the same trauma. So we know who we are before the trauma has a lot to do with who we are after the trauma. And there again, it's the brain's pattern detection network, right? What have I learned about the safety of human beings? What have I learned about my own resilience? What have I learned about um, how, you know, what, like pain and power? What have I learned about, you know, how much I deserve? What have I learned about recovery? So there's all these messages that are already in us by the time we're traumatized. And then obviously this gets way more complicated too when you're talking about uh, early life trauma, so childhood trauma. Oh, absolutely. And I can just see how everything is layered and layered and layered. So if all of a sudden you have trauma from a young child, now we're we're in a space that that's there. Now we're layering on top if we have not dealt with. And I, I think I'm going to say this. Um, it's not that it's not dealing with it, but this is part of the question I want to lean into is that this is ongoing work, right? Like this is ongoing work. It's like you, you don't deal with one experience and it's a one and done because in our brain, as if it's trying to detect patterns of what could be coming up, all of a sudden it might register that that upcoming thing that we think is coming is another threat. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And so again, going back to this idea, it's like it really can never be overstated because to your point, it's like we have to keep reminding ourselves what these more primitive systems in the brain. And I, I don't almost don't like that word primitive because I think it sounds so pejorative. Like the systems we're talking about that are so invested in our survival are 300 million years old. 300 million years old. The, the, you know, people love to talk about, you know, like the prefrontal cortex, the, the newer parts of the brain are like a few 10,000 years old. It's like you, so we have to keep doing the work. We have to keep, we have to like keep coming to the altar and keep coming to the altar and keep coming to the altar, right? So there's this idea of repetition. And there's, there's again, this idea of like patterning of coding. It's like, if I keep coming to the altar every day, I, I take my walks, I do my somatic exercises, I meditate, I move my body. So, you know, and I, I think too, um, one of the things I, I really aspire to do on this planet is to simplify these ideas of emotional pain and emotional power, because when, we, when we're in pain, we don't even need the scientific literature. We all know when we're in pain, like we don't do our best thinking, right? So, and again, like plenty of scientific evidence to show this, it's like, it's easy to get confused. We get distracted, we get overwhelmed, we get dysregulated. So I really conceptualize all of emotional intelligence. You know, there's so much interesting stuff out there about emotional intelligence, but I make this point that I think we sometimes make it more complicated than it needs to be. So I think all emotional intelligence is, is who do I become in my moments of emotional pain? Because let's say I'm not in pain. Let's say like the weather, it's a beautiful sunny day in Chicago. My house is quiet. There's been these construction crews. I don't know. I'm probably just going to jinx us right now. <laughs> but, you know, they've been they've been quiet today. The, the world is working for me right now. Right? Mm -hmm. So I'm. I hope we all have these moments when like, things just kind of go according to plan, but that doesn't require any of my agency. It doesn't require any of my energy or, and this is what I, all power is, is my ability to have an effect. It's not requiring any of my power. 
the lights in the room are already on. Mm -hmm. So who do I become when the trucks start making too much noise and I start to worry like, oh my gosh, am I ruining Marsha's interview? And like, can people hear me? And is that, who do I become when, and let me add this point too. It's like, there's all these conversations now, especially like in the entrepreneur and, and corporate world of like inclusion, transparency, trust. I have no problem, including people. You just got to do it my way. I have no problem um, with people speaking their truth. You just, I just got to make sure that I like the words coming out of your mouth. So all of the, all of the rubs of these things are entirely rooted in our own experiences of pain. Now, so your brain, I always say it's the most precious real estate on the planet. Okay. It's less than three pounds for most of us. And the circuits that give rise to, I don't, there's, we have, English is a very rich language. We have lots and lots and lots of synonyms. Anxiety, fear, stress, overwhelm, agitation, frustration, rage, mad. I mean, I could go on and on. It's still the same parts of your brain. So all of this, so I'm being clear for listeners, I'm calling this emotional pain. And everything's on a continuum, right? It's the same circuit. So whether we're talking about like mild agitation all the way up to traumatic stress, the same parts of the brain are involved, right? In, in, In the processing of those sensations. So- the most powerful question on the planet, and I will die on this hill, Marsha. The most powerful question on the planet is, who do I become in my moments of emotional pain? Mm-hmm. That is such a powerful question. And I think whether we are in on Zoom, whether we are, whether I'm in the grocery store, whether I am in driving my car and watching something unfold, whether I am receiving a horrible message on social media, like how I am responding. I used to be the person who freaked out at all of it. And now as I can see, I mean, I, I've come a long ways, but I I find I have these filters that I can see things now. And I've seen people and how they behave and how they treat each other and what can happen. And then how this person responds and you're looking at it. And part of me now looks at it and says, what has happened in your life that that is your first go-to response? Mm Mm-hmm. Not Mm -hmm. judgment, just like an observation. I find it interesting. Sometimes I sit there and I'm like, what has happened in your life that that is your first response? And how much energy is it taking to respond that way? And is anything changing by responding that way? Right. Well, right. It kind of like when we respond in a, in a painful way, it usually compounds the pain, right? So it just like, it doubled down, it doubles down on the pain. Mm -hmm. I talk a lot about this idea of being like mad versus trigger mad, sad versus trigger sad, happy versus trigger happy, right? So it's like, if somebody cuts me off at a stop sign and I'm muttering about it for the next two miles, okay, right? Mm -hmm. I'm still talking about it next Thursday. It wasn't about the stop sign, now was it? (laughs) No, it was not. (laughs) So, um, but I'd like to take a stab at this question is like, how do we get so tangled? So here is, so I gave you the definition for trauma. For me as a, as a, trauma scientist, sometimes we can, you know, we, it helps us to have our, our operational definitions. So I, I like this idea of of pain because everyone, some people don't have trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, some people have varying degrees of trauma. We all can relate to this idea of pain, right? Mm -hmm. Some of us call it stress, struggle, overwhelm, anxiety, fear, agitation, but we can relate to this idea of pain. So does pain happen to us? Yes, that's exactly what trauma is. In other words, if I walk to my mailbox and I get assaulted, that was an external agent acting upon me. Mm-hmm. But I should say, and an astronomical amount of our pain comes, and this is this is the most powerful definition I can give you for pain, in the moments where I divide myself from myself. In other words, I want to say no, but I say yes. I want to rest, but I overwork. I want to disagree, but I agree. I want to go right, but I go left. I want to speak up, but I keep my mouth shut. In all of those moments, I have divided myself from the truth of my own energy. And the reason this is so powerful is because while I'm hollering about how my husband's not doing it right and the people at the, you know, the PTA and the people on social media, they're not listening to their earth. You know who the most dangerous person in the room is? Mm -hmm. 
The most dangerous person in the room is me. I have shown myself that I am my greatest betrayer. I almost need a pause there because I need that to land for people who are listening. That is, that's a, that's a mind blowing moment because how many people are waiting for someone else to come in and fix this or to come in and do to come in and change the circumstances when we're not like we actually created this because we're not following what we feel is the right choice for us. Or maybe we've never made it. And there's such a deep level of resentment that's there. Yeah. All, all those things are true. Right. And for, you know, it's like, we can't immediately know something that we've been avoiding or ignoring or, you know, and, and, and you, where does all this start? It starts even in, in families that are, are, you know, by a lot of, so I believe in, so we're not evolving anymore biologically the same way, right? So that type of human evolution is stopped. But I think there's all of this now. Um, I, I think that's such an exciting time to be alive. All this incredible emotional evolution. Like, and I think I've had mixed feelings about, you know, just as a neuropsychologist, you know, social media and like what it does to our brains. But every, I always say that the universe speaks to us in twos. There's always like a light and a dark and up and a down, a good and a bad, a yin and a yang. So like the upside, I think of all this like information age is there's this, exponential expansion in our emotional intelligence these the conversations we're having like we're not our parents conversations right yeah. Yeah. so i i think that for most of us i'm always i'm always like show me the you know who i want to see in my office i want to see the family in my office that has no trauma right so it's like i think even even those of us that grew up in good homes, I'm not trying to take that from anybody, but a lot of the, so you're going to recognize this. So even if you have great parents, tell me if any of these sound familiar. Sit down. I don't want to sit down. I want to stand up. Keep your mouth shut. I don't want to keep my mouth shut. Go tell her you're sorry. I'm not sorry. Don't do that. But I want to stand still, but I don't want to eat that. But I so very early, so I, yeah, I talk up so much about leadership, right? So the most powerful leadership on the planet is the parent-child relationship, right? That's just a statement of neurobiology. So early in our very in our development, we're at the time when the brain is really the most malleable, we're getting these lessons from these people who we do love and love us that don't trust yourself, eat that. Cause I said so. Because mm-hmm. I so, know better. I know better yeah, than yeah, what you know yeah, for yourself. Okay. Yeah. And so I think in childhood, we really start to see where this gets tangled. Mm-hmm. Your kid doesn't want to wear those pants. Put those pants on. I don't really like you hanging out with those friends. I don't, Jimmy, Jimmy, get off the, get off the place that get off the, get down from that jungle, Jim. Jimmy's like, I, I feel very confident in my body, you know? Um, so, you know, I think as parents, there's also this evolution and like, how are we thinking about our children's agency and their competence and, um, so all this is to say is there's so many, and then you think about images, so magazines, stuff you see on reality TV, like, and we start to like, okay, our bodies aren't good enough. Okay. The way that I dress isn't good enough. Okay. The things that I want to say aren't good enough. Okay. So there's like all these messages where we just keep getting more and more severed from the, the truth of our own energy. Well, the problem with this is I talk a lot about, I call it emotional math. This is my idea of like really simplifying this from people. If I want to have a a big equation, but I like subtract something from the equation and subtract something from the equation and subtract something from the equation and subtract something from the equation. Pretty soon I'm going to have a pretty weak, like if I wanted to get to, I don't know, hundred, now I'm only at 20. In other words, every time I have to deny the truth of my energy, siphon that part off, deny that part, stuff that part, the, the very reliable, the emotional physics of this equation is then like, I don't have as much energy. What does it mean? What does it feel like when I don't have energy? I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. I'm depleted. I'm run down. I'm lacking vitality. And then I wonder why I don't feel good. We can all relate to this. Like we can all relate to this a hundred percent. I can, yes. see, I can see our, like I can see myself on that spectrum. And I know that this is so relatable. So as we go through this, how do we, one of the things you said um, earlier, which I love is learning how to expand the power of your nervous system to hold more emotional voltage. What does that mean? And how do we do that? Yes. Fantastic <laughs> question. There's like a lot of ways I could answer this. So um, 
I'm going to make a, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to talk to you about something that I call the emotional shake. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to make an analog to physical health because it's going to make it so clear. So if anyone has ever worked out, we all know that feeling where like, you're like, all right, I'm really going to lift more weight today. And I start to lift. And then my muscle starts to shake. Mm -hmm. Except no one in the history of physical health has been like, (gasps) do that. (laughs) Oh my God, my muscle is shaking. Someone quick call 911, like get the paramedics here. I, this is, you're just like, now here's even the more interesting part is like, so it's the shaking is itself the evidence of my increasing strength, number one. And for some of us who who are like somewhat regular worker outers, the shaking, it doesn't feel love. Like it's not, I'm not fooled. I'm not thinking I'm having a massage, but there's something satisfying and empowering as I'm shaking. Cause I'm like, oh, it's, I'm breaking a sweat, so to speak, right? Yep. Okay. So now let's put this in the, the emotional category and look at the perfect analog. So say, Marsha, I want to like talk to you about something that's been on my heart and I'm scared. I'm scared to tell you, like you hurt my feelings. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I go to, I go to tell you what happens. I start to literally shake. Mm-hmm. Maybe my hands feel a little bit jittery. Maybe my voice starts to quiver. Maybe my hands start to sweat. Maybe my thoughts start to race. In other words, I start to emotionally shake. Mm-hmm. Now, unlike the gym where we all laugh, it's like, of course, no one's like fleeing from the gym, never to return. Do I though, in those moments of my own emotional shake go, mm, Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. And then never have, number one, never have the conversation with you. And then think about the dysfunctional that comes from there. Then I get resentful towards you, but it's just misplaced resentment because I'm just really mad at myself. So it ruins relationships. And then just like if we, as we age through time, if we're not doing something about our physical health, things don't stay static. Mm -hmm. It means to be human, right? So there is an emotional weakening. So we just, we just have to meet our edge, meet our edge, meet our edge. And would you go to the gym ever? If I could only lift 10 pounds, would I go to the gym tomorrow and lift a hundred pounds and then try to run 50 miles? No, because I would definitely hurt myself. And you wouldn't look at it and go, I failed because I didn't do the hundred when really you left this gap in between. Like, right, right. right. So, so if, in other words, you shouldn't, you don't need to be overly ambitious, just like you wouldn't be overly ambitious in a physical health context. Mm -hmm. And also if I, if I can walk, if I could run a mile, I'm not going to go to the gym and walk four steps and be like, okay, now we're done here today. Thank you. So it's like, how do you meet the edge? How do you meet the edge in a way that's powerful? Powerful doesn't mean I injure myself and powerful doesn't mean I abandon myself. It means what is, if I, if I think about this on a scale one through 10, how much tension, so to speak, how much voltage I want to be at like a seven or an eight. Mm -hmm. And I don't go to the gym all day long. I'm not lifting weights for 18 hours a day. So you, do you see how like you get to be gentle to yourself? You get to restore yourself. You get to rest. Every moment isn't a moment to prove ourselves. It's like, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I do tons of public speaking. So I'm on big stages. I, you know, do all these academic co- talks on those stages. I'm so comfortable. I want to know why? Cause everything is perfect. I have my deck. I have my notes. I'm rehearsed. I know everything. Yep. When I first started doing these podcasts, they were awful for me. Because I was like, I don't know what they're going to ask me. <laughs> what if they want to talk about something? So I would be like, do I, you know, get kind of obsessive? Like, do I get obsessive and like make a bunch of no? And then I was like, well, that doesn't really, I got to, I got to try to practice what I preach. Mm-hmm. So the first few podcasts were not enjoyable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now they are. So in other words, we, it, we call this habituation. The, the brain can meet, 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 kind of change its pattern and meet a new set point. If, if you're thinking about a little bit about intensity, in other words, you want to kind of be at like a six, seven, eight, and you're thinking about redundancy. In other words, if I went and I ran a hundred miles in one day and then never returned to the gym for five years, that wouldn't really work. Mm-mm. So there's got to be like, it's better to run maybe five miles, three days a week or something like this. I don't know. I'm not a physical health person. <laughs> I love the analogy though. Okay. First off, I absolutely love the analogy that you're giving because I think everyone can relate to this. The other piece that um, speaks to me before I say it. Cause I just want to make sure I, I address that piece. You're doing great. Like you're doing, amazing. I had my moment where I was like, okay, can I ask the right questions? Because we all, again, get in our own skin. 
right? Yeah. Can can I ask her like the right questions? Can I do the right things? But we go through that process ourselves. And it's just, it's actually unreal sometimes what we do, like what we do to ourselves. We are, we are so punishing to ourselves. So I think to your earlier point is when you see, when we see people not on their best behavior, I think it just gives you a glimpse. It it helps me because, and I have my own moments of, I wouldn't want to be on camera. Do you know what I mean? Like I, you know, I'll lose my temper and, um, you know, the older I get, the the calmer I think that I get. And so you have more opportunities to do more work, but, um, we are a fraction as harsh to other people as we are to ourselves. The self-talk that we unleash the battering. And it's like, how could we really have mercy for other people if we don't have mercy for ourselves? How can we really endure other people's difference if we can't endure our own? How can we really have, you know, devotion to other people if I don't? So one of the interesting things, so I love working in systems. So whether this is a, you know, a business, like a, a business team, whether this is a parenting team, whether it's a couple, whether it's a family. So let me just use the romantic couple because I think the example is going to land so easily. Is the number one place where all couples start by the time they come in for treatment is they say, they're basically saying, this one doesn't love me enough. No, you don't love me enough. No, you don't love me enough. No, you don't love me. So there's like this, you, you know, so then I'll say like, well, tell me all the ways that you want yourself. Mm -hmm. Tell me all the ways that you turn yourself on. Tell me all the ways that you listen to yourself. And when it really starts to land people, like for people, like, how could I, how could I really, really expect someone in a sustainable 50 year relationship to repeatedly listen to me when I don't even know how to listen to myself? Mm-hmm. You oh. can't get the math on that to work. It's like asking the universe to divide by zero, like universe, please just one time divide by zero. The universe is like, we've gone over this a billion times. We do not divide by zero. I know, I know. But just today on Wednesday, Thanks. please one and then we wonder, well, then we feel frustrated. And then there's yeah. the math on that. Then we're frustrated. We feel like the universe isn't being, whether the universe is your mother, your father, your lover, God, I don't know who the universe is in this example, but like, oh, you're not, re- you're not being re- responsive to me. Well, it's not that I'm not being responsive. It's like trying to get gravity to make things fall up. Like it just doesn't work that way. It does not. It does not. What a great, you're so good at examples. And I'm just laughing because I can relate so well to everything that you're saying. I oh guess. God, these are all like pulled from my own life. So that, oh, you know, like, yeah, no, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And this is like, this is just another tangent, but that's the piece when people say like, my husband and I've been together for 35 years, 36 years, married for almost 29 lived through some unbelievable challenges that I I could not do justice to. And no matter how hard we worked on it, it actually came down to him taking care of him, me taking care of me, bringing two holes together to make it work. I got chills when you said that you're so right on. It took forever to learn it honestly. And every time I feel myself in this space, which I guess you can just extrapolate that to anything else. If I look at it and think he's not doing something like, and I literally stop, like this whole podcast is own your choices on your life. So as soon as I feel myself fall into that space of finger pointing or blame or whatever, it's like, no, wait, what am I not doing? What am I not doing for me? What am I not listening for me? And I, it's for a lot of people that comes across as selfish and I've had that and I've been told that. And especially like, well, you don't understand. I have kids and it's busy and I I do, I do. But so much can change when we can learn to bring our best self into our life. Yes, I'm I'm nodding fervently because this is hitting a nerve for you. Yeah, it is. It is actually hitting Why? a nerve. Yeah, no, not in a bad way. Like now like the tables have turned. This is good. Um it's it's not a bad way. I just I I think you're explaining something on such a different level that no one has before in this way. And I am a science girl at heart. Like I, I love, I, I just love the pieces of it. Understanding this in the way that you're explaining it, I think is really powerful. I think it's incredibly powerful using your, like using your tools to your advantage and helping you to like move forward in your life. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. And th- the only thing, so I talk about my work in the framework of a remembering, like the great remembering. Mm-hmm. I don't think I, I, in my, in my bones, do not believe that I really teach people anything. Mm-hmm. I think I remind them of what they always knew. It's just, it's got some dust on it. In other words, the number one thing we all want in this lifetime mm-hmm. is access to our own power. access to the truth of our own energy, right? I want to live the life that's that's aligned with the way that I want to live my life. And I've worked with people and everyone, all, you know, every single possible manifestation of human behavior you could possibly think of. I've probably worked with it. Even people who've done really, really, really harmful things. People aren't out there overwhelmingly to hurt other people. People do hurt other people all the time, mm-hmm. but the intention, the, the the energetic impulse is not malice. We create so much pain when we abandon ourselves. We create so much pain when we abandon ourselves. And I mean, gosh, we could talk for hours and hours. You know, I think the, the marital system, so I said the parent, the parent-child relationship is the most powerful relationship on the planet from a neurobiological perspective. The long-term adult romantic relationship is absolutely the most complex. Mm-hmm. And there's all of these like half stories, these like division stories out there of like, we've all, we all like choking on this shit, excuse my language, oh. but like the fake romance, you know, like, oh, it's I- a- and so- and even even though we kind of maybe know in this age, like, okay, well, you know, my husband at, you know, 15 years into the marriage isn't going to like come riding into the garage on a white horse. It's still like, you're you're supposed to listen to me and you're supposed to like have this emotional availability to me, but I can't even sustain that for myself. What about his life? What about his blocks? What about his desires? What about, so I think too, there's this, this really, um, this is not my, this, so basically there's this guy named Terry Real. He's this really great uh, couples expert. And he talks about normal marital hatred. Mm-hmm. And I think, and and he, he does this great thing where he's like, you know, he's been doing this for 40 years. He's like, so really interesting. Like every time I get on a stage, I talk about normal marital hatred and not once has someone come up to me afterwards and said, Hey, Terry, I had no, I have no idea what you're talking about, about yeah, that. No. So, right. So it's like, we have to normalize the range, the range, the range of the human experience. And as we normalize that range on all levels, now we are holding, like expanding our own power to yes. more energetically yes. nervous system, all of the things. Because if my husband gets to just have a bad day and I don't make it about like how he doesn't want me then he just gets to have a bit. So it's like we free the whole world. Mm-hmm. I think this idea of emotional power, emotional intelligence, whatever, I kind of find them to be synonyms. This, this is the, this a bold statement. This is the piece that either heals the world or does not. We will, we will, you mark that. We put a, we put a friggin' rover on Mars. We will put a road, we will colonize the solar system before we figure out how to get along with the people in our home. Oh my God, how true is this? This is so true. This is so true. And I mean, there's no question we could talk for a really long time because you have so much that I am absolutely loving diving into. I do want to get into the piece on trauma and leadership and how that's led you to your book. I just want to ask one question before we move there and take it back to something you said a few minutes ago when you were sharing the analogy to working out. There was something else that spoke to me there in the fact that like we, if we actually are working to lift muscle, like lift weights, gain strength, we don't actually gain it in the moment when we're lifting, we gain it when we're resting. So I would love to touch on this piece with rest, especially in our brains, because we, if we're not, if we're not mindful of boundaries and our own system of what works for us, we're we're just constantly full of distractions and noises everywhere. And that does not help our brain either. So I know that's a probably a big question in a short time, but I would love if there's anything you want to share on that. Just like, do do I think, was your question like, do I think that rest is important for emotional power? Yes, absolutely. And you know, in, you know, you can, 
Um, what I think is so cool, this is kind of what I mean about like the spiritual part of my life and the scientific part of my life. Like I love it when, so if, if you take something like meditation, right? When something's been around for thousands and people are not stupid, people are brilliant. Yes. When something's been around for thousands and thousands of years, like there's something to it. So it's so exciting to me, like, cause you know, there's a lot of like fascinating neuroscientific research now on, for example, meditation or mindfulness or yoga or, you know, breath work. So it's so cool now to have like, because we have these amazing imaging technologies like fMRI or EEG to then now start to look at the, these more spiritual traditions in a, in a more scientific way. So if you take something like the whole reason meditation works or mindfulness works or rest works or napping on your phone works is there's networks in your brain that literally support rest. So, you know, not being engaged in tasks, not trying to like read an article or, you know, play a video game. So whether you call that mind wandering, whether you call it rest, whether you call it daydreaming, again, it doesn't really matter what we call it. The brain has these networks that are for for cognitive tasks Mm -hmm. and they have networks that are when we're not in cognitive tasks. Make sense? So it's like, if I just, I think a lot of us, like we're always on our computers, right? So we get this like hunched over posture because we're not like doing enough of like the chest opening. So I think it's similar. It's like we kind of over, overuse these muscles for, and I am guilty of this. You know, it's like, I gotta, we all gotta practice more what we preach, but like, we're always doing the cognitive task. We're getting on the podcast. We're doing the thing. We're doing the email. And even when like we're supposed to be resting. It's like, oh, well, I, my kid needs a new pull-up. So I'm just going to really quick get on, get on Amazon. It's like, and then it becomes, because the brain is a pattern detector, it's going to look for what it knows. So rest, this, this is a big, this is a huge paradox. Here's a great, here's a, actually a great story for you. So I, I was working with this corporate exec who went on this like really kind of you know, luxurious, you know, it's one of these like 10 day silent retreats. Mm-hmm. And, but it was a silent retreat. And so he's like, it's going to be great. Like, I'm just going to really reset. He was going through a lot of like life transition. He was like, I was five hours in on the first day. And I, all I was doing was sitting on a nice expensive pillow. Mm -hmm. And I thought my body was on fire. He's like, I went up to the guy and I was like, I cannot be here anymore. And the guy was like, okay, just try to stay like till the end of the day and, and see where you're at. The guy left. So even rest, the the brain wants to do what feels familiar to the brain and things that don't feel familiar feel something called weird, bad, awkward. So there's this huge paradox that if we really want to rest more, we have to go through this like pain portal. Rest will make you panic at first. And that's like, if you don't really think about what's going on in the nervous system, you're like, well, this sucks. Like might as well go clean the floors or something. what a great example like you have to go through this pain portal in order to feel like and and get to the space where rest is okay yeah Mm -hmm. yeah because it feels it feels bad it feels dangerous yeah yeah it's actually it's it's such a great example it's such a good oh my so good um okay so you are writing a book right now. And I think the premise of the book is incredibly powerful. Can you, I know you mentioned a little bit in the beginning, can you explain what you're diving into with this book and what led you there specifically? Yeah. I mean, geez. So the book is really kind of everything we've been talking about. So it's, it's for leaders and um, it's being published by Harvard business review, but we mean leadership in literally the sense of every single person on the planet, right? It's not like your gym running a 40,000 person company. It's like, where does my leadership show up as an entrepreneur? Where does my leadership show up as a parent? Where does my leadership show up? If if I do work in a corporate environment, where does my self-leadership show up? Like, does this life, does this life like really feel like the masterpiece? Because I think, again, there's that division. When we feel uninspired by our lives, it's because like something in our energy is saying, don't go left Mm -hmm. and I'm going left instead of right. So it's how to kind of walk people back home in this remembering to the truth of their own energy. And what's, what's so basically, you know, this moment for me was really a powerful one because I've been talking about, um, 
so I've, I've been, you know, really doing this kind of human rights, mental health, mental health advocacy work now for gosh, more than 20 years. And it's been incredible for me to watch the evolution of the way people are willing to talk about mental health. Like the conversations that we are having now were not the conversations that we were having 10 years ago, certainly not 20 years ago. So it's been very powerful for me. And then to be asked to write a book, you know, Harvard Business Review is like the preeminent business press. So it's like speaking to the most powerful leaders in the world to have them say, okay, you could write a book about not just other people's because it's easy to be like, well, you should really go to therapy and and really mean it, right? You know, you should really get help. Like we're going to try to like help you or or dear spouse, you should get help or I'm going to put my kids in therapy. That, and I'm not saying that that's easy for people, but it's still easier than having to face my own pain. Mm -hmm. The thing about pain though is, it's the greatest paradox in the world. I'll, I'll come back to the paradox. So anyways, when Harvard Business Review said like, yeah, like we're, you know, go ahead. You're, you can write this book about emotional power and emotional pain and what the brain and our, and our energy, I really talk about this idea of neuroenergetics, right? This idea that your brain is quite literally an electrical machine. Your brain literally runs on neurologic energy, right? So it's electrochemical machine. And the term I use to describe this is like neuroenergetics. And if we could, if we could lead, if we could live in a place that was simply in alignment with how, you know, people love this term embodiment right now. Well, that's such a great term because if I could live in alignment with the truth of my body, everything about my life would work more effortlessly. Mm-hmm. So it's been great. It's been great. And it's good to like, you know, be able to, um, I think help. Cause so, so here's the thing about pain. It sounds like a, it sounds like a dirty word. You know, it's like, it's a provocative word because it provokes all these sensations in ourselves, you know? And, but here's, here is, oh my God, this is, I think the greatest paradox on the planet is like, what if, I'm talking about chronic, right? If it's like somebody stubs their toe, well, that will be gone by, you know, the end of the hour. I'm talking about like the relationships day in that don't feel good, the jobs that day in and don't feel good, the parenting that day in and day out doesn't feel good to us. What if these feelings of fear, anxiety, stress, inadequacy, being overwhelmed, what if these things that I have hemorrhaged so much energy trying to run from, trying to deny, trying to numb, trying to avoid, what if these things are here to set me free. What if the anxiety is like, stop, stop betraying yourself? What if the fear is like, stop not listening to yourself? What if the very sensations I think I need to outrun are the very sensations that will take me home? You're reminding me of, um, is it Ryan Halliday's book, but it's like the obstacle is the way I Uh always, I like to, every time I can feel myself wanting to bang my head, I'm like, wait, maybe this obstacle actually is the way, like maybe it is the way. And how can we find our way to work through those obstacles as opposed to always running, ignoring, numbing, just pretending that they're not there, which only continues to make our lane and our vessel feel like it's constricting. We cannot outrun the truth of our own life. We just can't. No. So your book is, when is it expected to be available? It's going to come out in, um, I believe, early 2023. So that will kind of be controlled by the publisher. But I am talking about it all the time. I'm doing a lot of videos. I'm doing a lot of content. Because again, as I said at the beginning, I could talk about this stuff until I keel over and die. So um, I just feel like it's such powerful stuff, such life-giving stuff. And I, I really hope that messages like these feel empowering and soothing and empowering for people. Mm-hmm. I 100% think that they do. And um, I know this won't be the last conversation we're going to have because I love everything you're sharing. And I would love to be able to help you to promote this. When it comes down to it, what you're doing in my impression and how I'm taking this in, this is so different than self-help that there's something wrong with you that needs to be fixed. That's something that like you have to, you, you're teaching people how to tap into themselves and learn how to expand what is available to them 
also to maybe stop resisting those parts of themselves that have been the guideposts to create change. So I love everything that you're saying and that you're doing. And deep down, I believe like leadership comes down to, can we lead ourselves like that? We we have to be able to learn how to lead ourselves before we even put those expectations onto others. So regardless of what crazy chaoticness seems to be happening at times in our life, how do we lead ourselves despite what is going on? And that right. also comes down to the emotional intelligence that you're referring to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I endorse what you're saying. I, I believe this, like, cause how can, and I think this is why we get into these command and control relationships, right? We've been using other people's behavior mm-hmm. to regulate our own nervous system. So we could, could, we could do that. We could continue to do that. It's just a bad model. I think with diminishing returns, like, you know, a perfect example, of this is like, look at the return to work thing. It's like, maybe 50 years ago when your boss said, get back here, you would go, okay. And today people are going, well, no. And the, and the truth is like, if people aren't going to agree with us, there is no way to control them. No. And what we, we, we dilute ourselves as parents, like from the second you bring that child home, well, not even you bring the child home. It's like that child was going to come out when that child, you know, what was ready to come out, how it wanted to come out. Like you're like, please child. Like you're like dancing on one foot. You're like sprinkling pixie dust. You're like playing lullabies. You're like rocking the crib. kid. Doesn't want to go to bed. Like it's not going to bed. No. The toddler doesn't want to get in the car seat. Like the toddler's not getting like you can physically exert your, you know, your, but that only works for, I mean, that's not going to work for a long time. No. So it's like command and control never worked. So good. So good. So powerful. Um, I know we are running out of time. Can you tell people where to connect, follow, and learn more about you? Yeah. So I'm happy to have these conversations. I love having them. I'm on I, I, a lot of the social media channels. So I'm at Dr. Julia Deganji at Instagram, Dr. Julia Deganji at Facebook, Dr. Julia Deganji at LinkedIn, and Dr. Julia Deganji at YouTube. Mm-hmm. Perfect. I actually listened to a number of your videos this morning just to get a sense. And oh. so, yeah, so that you've, you've got great content that what I love is you've taken it and made it so relatable and applicable that we can start making some of these changes like in our life today. It's, it's, it's very doable and we all have that capacity and, and power to change how we see things and change how we respond. I deeply, deeply believe in this. I deeply believe in the the human ability to change, right? Like our life is a constant evolution. So the things that don't fit us, the shoe no longer fits. We just need to get a new shoe. And I know that it can feel overwhelming, but it it exists. It, It really, really does. I've seen it happen. I've seen people rise from the throes of remarkable trauma and despair and go on to live full, bright, vibrant lives. Wow. Wow. Okay. So I will make sure everything is in the show notes that so people can reach out, follow and connect and be able to get access to being the first to hear when your book is available. I have one question left for you is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? Gosh, that's a good one. I got to think for a second. What lesson am I? I think, I think it's to what we've been talking about here is that um, I am my own greatest asset. I am my own safest bet. That, that energy is a relationship between me and God. And yeah, in a world that is incredibly uncertain and, and, and is, can be unpredictable and volatile, those things are true. I need to be my most certain asset. Mm-hmm. And I think we do a lot of damage to ourselves when we, behave in ways that are uncertain to ourselves. In other words, like we've been talking about this whole time, our energy says one thing and then we deny it and do another. Then we become our own, our own betrayer. Mm -hmm. So I think that I am my own greatest asset. And let that land for anyone who's listening, because that was really powerful. What a fantastic episode. I am so grateful for this connection and conversation. Likewise, likewise. You're a fantastic interviewer. You made me feel so comfortable. (laughs) You did a great job. Honestly, I absolutely loved it. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.